Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, the official Bengals podcast of the SB Nation podcast network, and the number one Bengals fan podcast out there. I'm Anthony Gazenza, joined as usual by my co-host John Sharon. John, how you doing? Busy week this week, but hope you're hanging in there, my friend. Busy week, busy day, but it's been kind of culminating up to talking to the guy in front of us. I know uh, we, we're sitting here making this about us when, in fact, the show is about the man right in the middle of John and I, if you're watching the live stream video, Mr. Mike Daniels, one of the newest additions to the Cincinnati Bengals, defensive lineman extraordinaire, and I know a lot of fans are excited about him being here. Mike, how you doing? I know there's a lot going on in the world right now, but hope you're doing well and enjoying your new team so far. Yeah, I'm doing extremely well, uh, and I'm enjoying the team, I'm enjoying the city, uh, I'm really glad to be here. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving my entire Cincinnati experience right now. Well, that's great to hear <laughs> because, uh, you know, the, the Cincinnati Bengals kind of did things a little differently this year in terms of outside free agency. I don't know if you had been made aware as, as a player about the Bengals' reputation and maybe not diving into outside free agency, but you were one of the most, if not the most high-profile free agent they brought in and a wide variety of talented players that they brought in this year. What exactly drew you to the Bengals this year, especially in a year that they seem to kind of be in a transition mode, rebuilding mode, what have you? Uh, I'd say it had to be the um, the details to the process. You know what I'm saying? The, the details to their interest, I should say. Uh, I, I had an opportunity to speak to all the coaches, uh, Coach Taylor, Coach Lou, and my defensive line coach, Coach Easton. Uh, they, they seem really excited to get me in here. Um, and it really seems like they're, they're moving things in the right direction. You know, Cincinnati has always been an extremely competitive franchise. I've been to two Super Bowls in the 80s. So to, uh, you know, get back on some competing ground, uh, that, that's, that's always really good. And I, I really like Coach Taylor. He's, I really like Coach Taylor. Mike, I mean – I think I speak for my co-host when we say when we do these interviews, we love we prioritize giving the players a voice. And that's kind of where I wanted to start here. I mean, you spent the better part of the last decade living and working in Wisconsin. But the issues that are going on in that state and in Kenosha specifically, they transcend just that area as an American and as an athlete. Do you have anything you want to say about what's going on in Kenosha with, with the Jacob Blake situation and with the Milwaukee Bucks boycotting the playoff game? Or if not, just what can you say anything that you've experienced within the Bengals locker room talking and discussing some of these issues since you've been there? Yeah, I, I'll say in general that if you can't, you know, have compassion for another human being, um, whether they're when they're on the receiving end of an act of violence, then, you know, that, that just says more about the type of person you are. And, you know, we can't ignore the fact that, um, you know, racism is very real. And a lot of people, they aren't, uh, they don't, they would like to turn a blind eye to it. And there's a lot of people who stand against it. And you're seeing more people being, uh, they're, they're being more uh, courageous in, in standing up against the things that, they always knew it wrong. Like I had a football coach of mine from, um, from a uh, high school, you know, and he was um, a gym teacher at my middle school and I've known him since I was 12. And he sent me a lengthy text after the George Floyd um, video uh, came out and he said, you know, Mike, I've really kind of just sat back and I allowed neighbors and even family to say certain things and have certain views. And I can't do that. He said, I work with a lot of black kids, help a lot of black kids get into college. 
have a lot of black friends and, and I have to stand up for what's right. And, you know, more people that take that approach in general, then you'll you'll see the change that needs to be made. Well, well said by you. And thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. Uh, a lot of a lot of things happening this evening as you join us live, as, as my co-host mentioned. So thanks for sharing some thoughts on that, Mike. Being from the area, at least playing in the area that you played, uh, that my co-host mentioned in Green Bay, you were also in Detroit. You were you came from the NFC North. You joined the Bengals. You know, there, there are some similarities between the organizations, kind of a smaller market, especially Green Bay, Cincinnati, uh, maybe a little bit more family oriented in terms of the ownership group, that sort of thing. Is that is that something that also maybe drew you to the Bengals, just the way that they kind of run the organization? And it, it was kind of something maybe you were a little comfortable with in, ter- in terms of culture? Yeah, and whenever you see um, loyalty towards the players, you got, got like, you know, A.J. Green, Dunlap, Gino, they've been around a long time. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you know, even with Ocho Cinco and those guys back in the day, uh, Corey Dillon and and, and um, you know, all the low school guys, you you know, you pay attention to that type of stuff like, man, these guys are career Bengals. And when an organization shows that type of loyalty to their guys, that's that 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 only speaks to the uh, the the higher ups, you know, the, the ownership. And that's that's definitely where you want to be. You want to be somewhere where they they love their guys, you know, because as you can see, um Coach Lewis looked around a long time, did a lot of great things, always had an extremely tough defense. Defense I, I admired big time. And um, now Coach Taylor comes in, and it doesn't shock me that you got two guys that the, the players love, you know, back-to-back. And that just speaks to um, the way the, or the organization is ran. One so of the guys, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, go, please finish. I was just saying, so absolutely, that, that definitely played a part in my decision. One of the guys that you mentioned was Geno Atkins, and I, I think – uh, leading up to uh, the Bengals signing you, I, I was I was looking on like Gino's Instagram and I see you comment on a couple of his posts. Like, I wonder if these guys are friends, and I wonder if that's, there's maybe a connection there. And sure enough, you you, you know you ended up signing with them. H- how long is as your friendship with Gino go back, and does it go back all the way to your Iowa days when Marshall Yonda came up to you and said, "You got to watch this film on this guy who's wrecking us in the AFC North." Yeah, and and when Marshall brought that up to me, I instantly started watching him, and then. I was a fan first, then I became a student after because he was so good. My respect for him, you know, is through the roof. So to be able to play next to him, be in the meeting room with him, be in the weight room with him, be in the locker room with him, to learn from him, uh, that's 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 just awesome. You know, I haven't had a chance to be with a defensive lineman that I could really uh, learn from because of their uh, body of work and how they do things since I played with B.J. Raji back when I was in my first fourth, first through fourth year uh, in the NFL. So uh, G- Gino is a guy who I uh, I reached out to him, I want to say about three years ago on some, you know, anime comic book type stuff. And uh, he, he's him and I definitely uh, have a lot of similarities in that way. And just his path, I respect him. Six foot tall, fourth rounder. That's, that's, that's where I'm at as well. And I watched how he has – overcame so much and he turned out to be the one to probably say the best draft pick in this class so to really watch him study him and get to know him as a person um i mean i'm, I'm just really excited to be here and playing playing next to him man you know uh i reached out to him and <laughs> he answered you know he, he doesn't have an ego or anything like that and he knows a lot of younger D tackles look up to him, and he, he always makes himself available. I watch how he is with the guys in the locker room. Super, super cool dude. Well, you with Gino, DJ Reader, Sam Hubbard, Carlos Dunlap, that is a formidable, formidable defensive line, definitely, that the Bengals will be sporting this year. And I know a lot of fans are happy to have you in stripes. We're talking with Mike Daniels, one of the newer acquisitions and high-profile acquisitions that the Cincinnati Bengals made this 2020 offseason. He's joining us courtesy of EAG Management, uh, his his representation group. We're thankful that they let him uh, get get some of his time this week. Mike, uh, you have your career has been very, very outstanding, and you made a Pro Bowl in 2017. You've been to a lot of and played in a lot of uh, postseason games with with the Packers. 
There's one thing, though, and I want to ask you about this. And, and don't get me wrong. We're going to ask you about that anime thing in just a minute, too. But okay. the, the, the one thing that sticks out to me when I look at all your stats, and they're all impressive, one touchdown as a rookie. It looks like it was off a of fumble recovery. I want to ask you this. Do you remember what your touchdown celebration was when you scored that touchdown? And if you were to get a touchdown return this year, be it interception, fumble, et cetera, with the Bengals this year, do you have any idea as to what kind of celebration you'd be showing us if you yeah. got to the end zone this year? Yeah, absolutely. And it's I've been cooking this one up for a few years now, ever, <laughs> ever since that touchdown back in 2012. But I remember my celebration um, ran 43 yards and scored, so – I kind of just put the ball up in the air and I was excited. Then I, you know, made sure I crossed the line and then <laughs> I, 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 let, I let the ball drop in. I went to attempt a Lambo leap. I got halfway up there, but wow. that wall, come to find out, is the higher wall. The other wall that you see the guys kind of just jumping, you know, spinning on top of it. That's the that's the shorter wall. So oh. I got the short end of the, or the short end of the stick on that one, no pun intended. Uh if I were to score a touchdown uh this year um with the Bengals, I'm you know, we we you mentioned anime. We definitely have a lot of anime fans, particularly on the defensive line. So, we'll um, man, it's, I don't, I don't want to reveal it, but it, you don't have to. It'll be something Dragon Ball related. Okay. okay. And it's going to look phenomenal. And we're going to break the internet. I love it. I think I know exactly what he's talking about, but I'm not going to say it to the audience. Um, in your time in Green Bay, you spent a lot of time in that in that Dom Capers defense where it was very – it was a lot of odd front looks and you were playing a lot of uh, five technique and also three technique, which is kind of where your career took off. What was the role that uh, I think the Bengals, I guess, pitched to you in terms of coming on? And has that role, I guess, changed with all the injuries that have happened with guys like Rennell Ren Ren and Ryan Glasgow? Has anything changed with you since you came to Cincinnati? And do you, what type of role do you foresee yourself having in this defense? I'm extremely flexible, and that, that's how I've always been. Coach Capers, uh, Coach um, Petten, Coach Patricia, they all line me They line me up all over the place, from the five all the way down to the zero to the other five. And I, I'm, I'm here to do whatever they ask me to do, dropping the coverage, whatever. Whatever they need me to do, that's what I'm here to do. I want to help this team win. I want to make everybody else around me better. And I just want to overall be the best teammate that I can possibly be. And the only way to do that is by being selfless and doing what's asked of you. So I'm for it. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna share something here for you, Mike, and for our for those who are joining us live and or watching the show after the fact. I, you have a very interesting uh, way to kind of keep in shape in off days. Uh, here's, uh, here's one from your, your Twitter account, the, uh, the cupping, um, that is kind of a, a newer fad in terms of recovery for, for athletes. And then you've got another here that I want to share, which is pretty interesting. Um, it is you, I believe this was a recent day off, uh, working in, I don't know if it's a cold tub or a hot tub. Uh, doing some lineman drills, it looks like while while doing there. So, no days off. Uh, days off is not a day off for you. Um, I guess talk about the the respective differences in these practices and really how it helps keep your body, especially a handful of years now into the league, how it helps you keep uh, re refreshed and uh, ready to go in the dog days of training camp. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the the cupping and the acupuncture. The acupuncture more so is energetic helps your muscles let go of uh, unnecessary tone and tension. Then I'll get into the cupping, which is funny. I remember when I saw, I think, uh, what Olympics were those? I forget. Uh, where Michael Phelps, everybody's making a big deal about, you know, the massive uh, bruises he had on his back from from cupping. And I'd already been doing it for a few years before then. So it's, it's something that's been around for a long time. I, I got familiar with it in my uh, second year in the NFL, and uh, that definitely helps let the muscles relax even more. And, um, you know, it, it, it helps uh, pull, like, some of the toxins out. Uh, it, it helps with the uh, um, the fascia and letting it all loosen up and everything like that. So uh, the, the cupping has, has been really good. I'll do a little bit of laser. that helps heal at a cellular level while I have the, the muscle and the skin raised. So that's awesome. And then the pull – 
uh, that's more of me just we all know the pulls is resistance, right? Right. And the the the, the more resistance you get, the better you feel. And uh, getting that pull, working my defensive line, hand work, my, uh, my my football stance, coming out of my stance, it was just translating to the field with me being more explosive, me being looser, me having overall better flexibility. And that's 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 what's extremely important. The more mobile and flexible you are, the the, the longer you last, and the more effective you'll be, um, the longer you play this game. Well, it's not very normal for a defensive lineman to last nine years in the NFL and also play at a high level. But would you say that your your training methodology has has kind of changed in recent years just because you're reaching up there in terms of years played and also because of some of the injury issues that you've uh, ran into the past couple of years? You, you have to monitor, you know, your uh, the, what you do when you're working. And I've been blessed that the injuries I had were more freak accident type things, not um, – soft tissue or uh, it, it, like there were just freak accidents, really. So I can continue training at the, um, the the volume that I used to with the intensity that I did back when I was in college. You know, I can, I can maintain that because of what you just showed, my recovery tools that I have, whether it's cupping, uh, lasering, chiropractic work, uh, acupuncture. And then, then the pool work with which actually uh, doubles as a workout and a recovery. So, I will say that the the recovery aspect of it definitely increases the the longer you play. But that's something I've always taken seriously because I knew the day will come where I'll be year nine. Uh, thank God, or I was hoping the day will come. I'm year nine, and I knew the day will come. I knew the day will come where I will have to recover from an injury. Now I'm recovering from two, fully recovered, but. I'm glad I I built up such good work habits with my recovery that I'm able to bounce back in, in in the way I did. Talking with Mike Daniels, one of the newest acquisitions for the Cincinnati Bengals. He joins us courtesy of EAG Management. Hopefully you've got a few more minutes with us, Mike. We want to get to know you. We've got to know the football player quite a bit here, and we know your resume coming into Cincinnati. It's quite impressive. You teased a little bit that your personal interests bleed into football as well with the the anime and the touchdown celebration i understand right, you're a right. dragon ball fan i've seen some other Absolutely. features done by other networks about your passion for anime uh comics that sort of thing so i guess for fans to get to know you a little bit talk about kind of how you got into that area and is it only the anime sphere that you're interested in does it also bleed into the marvel dc and the big films that we've seen over the past handful of years talk about you being kind of a an anime comic book nut if you will so i am an uh i mean i'm a huge huge anime fan i, ha I have been since uh, 98 you, you know uh starting with my sister Watching Sailor Moon, she's older than me. Watch <laughs> Sailor Moon, and then Pokemon, and then Dragon Ball, and then it just, just, uh, you know, just came tumbling down, man, like dominoes, one after the other, one after the other. But I, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge manga fan. The manga is the comic book version of the anime, and a lot of times, anime are based off the manga. So uh, I'm a huge fan of that, and absolutely, I am a DC and Marvel fan. I am not Which as you prefer? Which you prefer? Who I prefer. Ah, that's a tough one. Depends on what you ask. If we were talking about the DC, if we're talking about the animated universe, like the animated movies yeah. and the cartoons, then DC hands down. Yeah. DC yeah. hands down. There's there's no competition. Their movies are their 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 cartoon movies are phenomenal. DC animated universe is they're killing the game right now. Everybody knows it. And it goes back to Batman the animated series. You're not gonna find a better cartoon than that ever. Ever. Period. Right. See what I'm saying? Um, Marvel uh, definitely they, they got them edged out in the uh, the box office smash with the movies and everything. We know that that's not even a competition. So you know that's God's way of balancing out the universe, right? <laughs> that's that's how that's how I look at it. I feel like this question is like 15 years old, but I, I still need to ask it: Who wins in the fight, Goku or Superman? <laughs> it, it depends on what Superman we're talking about. Depends on what Goku we're talking about, right? Super, what, Saiyan, what? Super Saiyan, Super Saiyan. So, so it's 
here's where Goku would have the edge. Goku's an actual martial artist. So Goku always gets stronger. Superman kind of has his limit. And then he gets, you know, Kryptonite reminds him of his home planet and he he, he gets is weak. We know that. Goku doesn't have weaknesses other than that he's extremely naive. He's not stupid. He's naive. People get that misconception. So uh, I, I w- I'd have to <clears throat> Harlan. I'd have to give it to my boy Goku because Goku will lose, but he'll eventually get himself up. To, if Goku loses, he'll eventually work himself up to being able to win because he's always getting better. Getting educated. Getting educated by Mike Daniels. I love it. Mike, I, I got to ask, what do you have a prized piece of comic book memorabilia or uh, anime memorabilia? And... If so, do you ever see that springboarding yourself, after, maybe after your NFL career is done? Do you ever see yourself opening some sort of comic book memorabilia collectibles type of store? I've seen some of these videos that you've been in where you're, you've kind of worked with kids inside of a, a comic book right. store. And I was, my mind kind of went there. I'm like, I wonder if he ever has aspirations to own something like that one day. So that that definitely, I'm, I'm a big like uh, um, comic book store kind of guy. Uh, as far as me, only one, I will not rule it out. I will not. I have a bunch of stuff, a bunch of stuff, man, that's like people would pay top dollar for it because it's so rare because it comes from like a certain time period. You talk, I have Dragon Ball Z fan dubs on VHS. Wow. There's wow. no way you're going to find that nowadays yeah. <laughs> ever ever right. people pay top dollar for that the quality is not good but because of what it is right so i, I definitely have a lot of uh collectibles and I, I would not rule out me um opening up a uh a memorabilia store more so just to be able to connect with um you know fellow comic book and anime fans more so well I also understand we've talked football. We've talked about your passion, uh, you know, for anime and comic books. I also understand that you um, have a beautiful family. I think you have a child on the way as well. Your fifth. Is that what it is? Okay. Uh, Just tell us a little bit about your family. I mean, obviously that is of utmost importance above everything else we've talked about. Um, And congratulations on the newest addition coming to your family. So, you know, after serving uh, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God, my family, I, they are they're they're everything to me, man. You know, when you get those dog days of camp and your legs feel like cinder blocks, just think about my wife and my kids and why I do this, man. You know, it ain't for my personal glory. It's, it's for me to be able to 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 show my family that Dad works very hard and he works very hard for you guys. And he's setting a standard for greatness. Now, I could have had any profession, but that's just the approach I take with it because of how I love my family. You know, I want to give them something to be proud of, that our dad gets up and works his tail off. And that's just the standard. And and, and um, my wife, she's she's my uh, she's my everything, man. My better half, she is my best friend. I made a lot of good friends in college when I went to Iowa, but I met my best friend and my wife and she is like, I have a bad day. I'm calling her. I'm having a great day. I'm calling her. Something crazy happens. I'm calling her. I need advice. Something. I'm calling her. I talk to her before I talk to anybody. Even before sometimes I'm going to talk to my coach. I say, babe, what do you see right here? Like, what do you see? Now, clearly she can't coach me in the same way that my coach can, but she knows me. There's been times in the games where she looks and she says, wow, you didn't look like yourself. I'm like, what are you talking about? I felt great. No, you didn't like yourself. What was on your mind? I'll go back and watch the film. I'll reassess myself. Then I'll look and say, oh, my gosh. I did have something on my mind. I'm seeing what she's seeing now. Whoa. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. um, definitely, def- definitely my best friend. And then my kids, they're, they're always watching. So I have to make sure I'm the best me that I, admit that I can be at all times. And. I love living like that. I really do. You get any of those kids in, into the, the comic book sickness yet? They they immersed into the... <laughs> yeah, they, they are. They are, man. I'm, I'm always catching them watching um, 
like because I watch a lot of anime in Japanese yeah. subtitle, right? So I always catch them watching their shows on Netflix, which has a lot of foreign shows, not just from Japan, but like from France, Spain, and Portugal, whatever. And they'll be watching it in the show's native language, right? With English subtitles. And I'm and I and I say, you know, guys, you way to be cultured. <laughs> way, way to be cultured, right? You 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 you, and you don't even realize how much you're learning, how much you're being able to comprehend and understand because you're taking yourself out of your own comfort zone. And that 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 that's always good. Has that passion taught you Japanese? Like do you do you know the Japanese language from watching so much anime or reading manga? At one point I I did. I had taken a a, a small hiatus so I lost a lot of my uh a lot of my knowledge, right? And but I did know know a few words and um, I, at one point I was going to get, well, I had a friend of mine who actually uh, minored in, uh, speaking Japanese and he oh, took wow. Japan and everything. Right. So, you know, once he did that, I kind of said, I, I, I give up you. I don't <laughs> know any, I, I'm not, I'm not even going to mess with you. So, uh, yeah, man, I, at one point I did, but I did get a Rosetta stone to learn Japanese. Wow. I have to activate it <laughs> so that I can. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we, we're going to get you out of here, Mike. I, I asked probably for about 10 or 15 minutes, and you've given us close to 30, man. I, so sorry we've chatted your ear off, but this has been incredibly enjoyable. Oh, man, it's okay. John, John and I have spoken to Dahani Jones on this program before, and we jokingly called him the most interesting man in the world. You, my friend, might have taken that throne from him. You are, uh, you are an excellent interview and a great guest. We appreciate you coming on. Is there any charity or side business i know you're working on that comic book store in the future but is there anything else that we can help you promote before you get on out of here yeah um new souls inc so new then souls like the, the bottom of a sneaker incorporated they're a, a non-profit uh, uh organization um based out of camden new jersey or pensacola new jersey and the, the cities are like right close to shit like that, right? And what they do is that they provide um, shoes and clothing, and at times food for um, families that are in need. You know, I know they will go and drop gifts off to uh, uh, kids, uh, underprivileged children during Christmas time. And they uh, they just recently had a like, you know, like a, 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 a ice cream truck just right there, and just was giving out free ice cream to. Um, everybody in the neighborhood and stuff. So uh, they're, they're doing some really good things. Uh, you can follow them on Instagram at New Souls Inc. Sorry, I no That's idea what right. I put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yep, at at New Souls Inc. Very no, cool. And they're they're doing an amazing job. I'm from New Jersey. I'm from South Jersey. My father's from the city, and I, I really just you know. Love to see people doing the right thing and uh, paying it for it. They've been blessed. Be a blessing on the others. So I uh, respect what they do. They're going to be my calls, my cleats this year, and definitely involved. That's awesome. Well, we will put that link in the live chats for both Facebook and YouTube uh, viewers, as well as in a write-up we're going to do, Mike. We're going to put this interview on, on the front page of CincyJungle.com so that all Bengals fans can get to know you. They can watch this interview, listen to this interview, and read about some of the many interests and uh, your beautiful family, all kinds of great things. Uh, I know great things are ahead for you for the Cincinnati Bengals this year. A welcome addition. Thanks for joining us on this program and uh, stay healthy. Be well this year, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to coming back. Absolutely. Right. We'd love to have you back on. Thanks. Have a good one, guys. All right. You too. The interviews just keep getting better and better, John. And it's hard to say. Uh, and I'm sorry I kept asking the last few questions there. He just kept he kept baiting me into asking these little, do you know Japanese? Did you see it? So I had to ask the last few there. But they, the interviews just keep getting more and more entertaining. Again, gave us close to 30 minutes. I think we asked for 10 or 15. And uh, a really, really cool guy. His reps, you know, they, they uh, pumped him up, and rightfully so. And I said before the before we took the air, his reps are great people. They, um, you know, they they were really great to work with to get Mike on the show. But um, they, uh, you know, 
great personality. And unfortunately, I, I just wasn't that exposed to him, him being a Packer and a Lion. So I didn't know all that much about him before kind of learning about him. And man, am I glad we had him on the show. I mean, you watch the top 100 from like 2016 to 2018. He's always on there because he's a top 100 player for that stretch. And he's one of the most animated interviews for that for that program. So like you go into an interview with, with a guy like that and you're thinking, okay, he's going to be pretty animated. He's going to be pretty engaging, but it doesn't make it any less enjoyable. And that was an absolute blast and a pleasure. And fortunately, everything that we, we hoped and expected for. Yep. And I want to thank you, John, for asking, you know, we had a lot of fun with that interview, but I, I do want to thank you for asking uh, the question that's on a lot of people's minds and, and getting uh, Mike's thoughts on uh, the current happenings going on, which uh, are very sobering. So thank you for for asking that question, John. And um, I'm glad he he shared a few thoughts with us on that. Yeah. And he's not the only person that does have thoughts. I mean, we had um, Carlos Dunlap made a statement in his press conference a few days ago about some of the issues and how he and the Bengals are handling it. So, I mean, this is stuff that happens with every player, with every team, because these guys are human beings too. And it's important that their voices may be heard or should, should be heard on these matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so thank you for asking that question. I'm glad that was part of the inter- interview, a very entertaining and enjoyable interview from a really likable guy. I hope we can get him on again sometime during the season or uh, after the fact. Great guy. I do also uh, want to thank John. We can't tell you exactly who yet, but John helped us land another great interview that we'll be dropping early next week. Uh, so he helped coordinate that. So it's, it is someone associated with the Bengals. That's about as big of a hint as we can give you at this point, I guess. Uh, so we will be dropping that one. So you're getting interview after interview after interview with those associated with the Bengals, we hope you enjoy it. And if you do enjoy this show, you could subscribe. There is an, or- if you're watching YouTube, there's an orange and black insider little icon right underneath John's left shoulder, I think. Uh, and so you can click that and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also uh, check everything out on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. Or if you're more of an audiophile, you can get the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone iHeartRadio, and uh, really wherever you get your audio forms of podcasts, we're there. So download it. Leave us a rating. If you like our show too, leave us a rating. We we love good ratings, but if you hate us, I mean, whatever. But try and leave us a good rating if you like it. And uh, we appreciate all of the support you continue to show this program. John, you wanted to talk about, and I think we both wanted to talk about, the Mackenzie Alexander situation. You have been covering that for CincyJungle.com. So why don't you kind of, if you don't mind, catch us up on all the recent happenings with Mackenzie Alexander, a very sad and uh, kind of a story that's taking a lot of turns. It, it, it truly is. And I guess people want to coin it as classic 2020 at this point. But I mean, this is a very serious situation. Uh, Monday afternoon, it was believed that uh, Mackenzie Alexander's father um, had gone missing in Okajibi, Florida, which is near that uh, South Florida, Miami region. And so Mackenzie flew down to Florida to help search for his father. It was reported that his father, Gene Odney Alexandre, was last seen with another man, and they went to pick palmetto berries, which is, is, is indeed a thing down there. It's not just like this sketchy story that sounds made up. He went to pick berries with him somewhere on the prairie, and the other man that Gene Odney went with, he left Alexandria behind, and he's been missing since. So uh, Mackenzie left for Florida on Monday, and on Tuesday when he got down there, he met up with a former high school football teammate of his, and he reportedly confronted the man who had been last seen with his father, and he had an altercation with the man, and he was Mackenzie was later arrested for one count of battery after confronting the man, presumably asking where is his father and, and everything right. like that. So he was arrested on Tuesday with one count of battery. Uh, he had a hearing upon getting released from prison with, with his two lawyers on Tuesday. And actually about 20 minutes ago, he was officially released on a $2,000 bond, I think according according to Hillary Lake of WCPO, ABC affiliate of Cincinnati. So Mackenzie right now is out of jail. He's still searching for, for, for his father who's still missing going on two days now. And that's pretty much where the situation is. I think can you clarify the the battery charge that was that was placed on him? Uh, that's a misdemeanor battery charge, correct? 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. So look, there's a lot here. The overarching thing to know is that the guy's father is missing. They don't know where he is. Missing doesn't always mean the worst possible outcome, but sometimes it does. Obviously he's fearful for that. And that's what prompted this altercation with the man that was with his father. So overarching thought is let's hope his father is okay and that he can find him. And if he needs medical attention of some kind that he can get it as soon as possible. It's, it's a, a story that leaves a lot of questions, especially with this man that Mackenzie Alexander had an altercation with leaves a lot of questions as to, you know, what happened? Why'd you leave him? What, what's going on? Not a lot of answers to this point. And unfortunately, Mackenzie Alexander, who is not only a victim of something potentially bad happen, happening to his father, is um, now in a little bit of legal hot water. John, what, what do you think? I mean, I don't even know if there's some sort of precedent to something like this. I mean, I, do you foresee a suspension? Do you foresee a, I mean, I know that's so secondary to the, to the, the primary issue. But I mean, from a Bengals standpoint, a guy that they are relying on this year, especially with Trey Waynes being hurt. Um, I don't know. I mean, is, is this a guy that we should expect to miss time, be it by suspension or maybe continuing to be with his family? Well, for starters, if we're talking about precedent, like when I first heard the story, I, it's extremely normal to just not have a reaction. Like you, you obviously feel sympathy and, and, and great sorrow for Mackenzie. But at the same time, like there, there are no words to really describe it, especially for something that is for the situation that seems so surreal for someone who's in this position. And honestly, like if I hadn't watched the last dance, which obviously surrounded not, not just the bulls, but mainly Michael Jordan, if I'd never watched that, I probably wouldn't have known anything about the, the, the death of Jordan's father, James Jordan, who, went missing right after um, Mike and the Bulls won their third championship. And he was missing for several weeks and Mike left everything and dropped everything in Chicago to help look for him. And James Jordan was shot through the chest and found three weeks later dead. And the person who was, who was guilty of it was charged with first degree murder. Like that, that's like the only thing that I can possibly re- remember relating to something like this. And like, like regardless of your feelings of Jordan, like I felt just immense sorrow for him because that's yeah. a situation that I, I can't possibly wrap my mind around. And for, for now him to go through another hurdle in trying to find his dad and going through jail and going through the legal process of everything like that. It's just, it, uh, there was already no words for it. And now like, I, I just, I, it, it doesn't feel, I don't feel comfortable talking about it because I just don't know what to say in reaction to this because it's, it's such a uniquely horrifying situation. And in regards to the pressing about how to, in terms of you know punishment for McKenzie, I I have no grounds to speak on that. I have no idea what the NFL plans to do with this. I believe there has to be some morally binary type of judgment here, where it's just like per the circumstances at hand, there has to be some sort of a leeway here with McKenzie. Obviously, the situation could have been handled better, but I think with the circumstances at at hand here, the most important thing is the health and safety of his father and everything that happens to McKenzie comes afterwards. So whatever happens to it happens, but I don't imagine that McKenzie has any serious regrets when his dad is still out there missing. Yeah, definitely would, would side with you on that one. Seeing a lot of, uh, apparently we've got some people, uh, I know our good friend, Mike Holbrook lives in, in Florida. Uh, but uh, I'm also seeing Carolyn Reiner, saying it's extremely hot and it sounds like people are kind of some people that are joining us live or at least familiar with the Okeechobee play uh, area um, hearing heat index around 112 desolate um, can be kind of scary there because it's so kind of out out off the beaten track there so uh, not a good situation and you know in terms of uh, again I, I just feel like I got to say it. I mean, of course, the primary concern is Mackenzie Alexander's father. We hope that everything is okay there. He is found soon. And if he needs medical, medical attention, that that gets uh, given to him soon. Um, from a Bengals standpoint and a team standpoint, I mean, obviously, it's another hit from a, te- from a position group that they tried to really bolster 
this offseason. You know, cornerback, they brought in Waynes, they brought in Alexander. They're elevating Darius Phillips to a higher profile role. Defensive line, we just had Mike Daniels on. They added DJ Reader. Um, but, you know, as they make these additions, these guys kind of start, uh, you know, making their way off the roster in one form or the other, even if temporarily, John. And that's, um, you know, from a football standpoint, it's a little, it's getting a little worrisome. Yeah, I think it's a situation, if, if we are going to talk about the football angle with this, I think it's a situation where it's very similar to John Ross, where, you know, however long that Ross needed to be with his family, the team was willing to give him that and then implement him back in the in the, the starting lineup and into the, the motions of, of going through training camp. And however long Alexander needs to not only find his dad, but find resolution with this whole conflict, I think they'll give him that. And they have enough respect for not only his ability, but also his character to give him that that starting job back. I don't think he's going to be in a position where he has to earn anything back despite maybe some, you know, fan resentment with, with everything that's going on right now. But I think Alexander was, was brought in here to start and the situation is, is so unique and such a, such a, it, it doesn't really have any bearing on any situation in regards to his status for playing with the team. So, you know, this could take a couple of days, this could take a couple of weeks, but whatever the time is, I don't see, the Bengals necessarily giving up on his salary or giving up on his starting job, unless it happens to go on for months. And at that point, the situation would obviously be very dire and, and potentially just, it probably wouldn't go on for more than a couple months, I guess, in that sense. But like, I, I think um, the, the, the Bengals will, will remain loyal to a free agent that they sought off in free agency and someone that they had a lot of confidence and, and hopes and starting and making the defense better. So I, I think he's going to be here to stay and he's going to be here to start when he comes back. I, I agree, and well said there, John. The you just heard Mike Daniels earlier talk about you know what he really likes Zach Taylor, and and I think the team kind of did the right, uh, the, of course they did the right thing by saying John Ross, go do what you need to do, be with your family, and get make sure everything's right there. I'm sure the same mindset is with Mackenzie Alexander, even though an arrest was involved here, and some cynical Bengal fans might kind of say, you know. Zach Taylor preached character and this and that and the other thing. I think even though there was an arrest here, Mackenzie Alexander is not really known as a problem child to my recollection. And, uh, you know, this is a situation where your emotions are running high and you're trying to find answers. And one of the only people that you think has answers as to where a loved one is can get heated. So I think there's probably, to your point, John, a level of under organizational understanding um, in this situation. Yeah. And again, it's, it's easy to like, I mean, this is a topic that we discussed a lot of times. It's like easy to play judgment, I guess, in situations like this. And like, there are some, there are some things where you feel like you have the right words to describe it and to assess the situation. And then you have something like this and you're like, well, it's, it's easy to say, well, why the hell did he confront him himself? Why did he handle it like that? And sometimes you, you just can't, you can't speak on things like this because you're not in that situation. You have no idea what you would do if you were if you were in that situation. And it's easy to play hindsight in, in 2020 with this stuff, but this is something that obviously came out of nowhere. This is something that I, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, the, I don't know what the, the plan was here or what the cohesion, what the plan was here. But, like, I, I'm rambling, rightfully so, because I, I don't know how to talk about something that I have no idea how I would handle or how I would react to it. And that's just, that's just human nature, like, you know, it, it's easy to type these things when you have to articulate them and speak it out in front of, you know, hundreds of people listening. It, it, it can it can get weird. And that's exactly what's going through my mind. I'm just being 100 percent honest with you guys. Like I'm I'm rambling. I sound incoherent, but that's that's just what's going through my mind because I don't know how I would handle it. And I'm having even a harder time trying to explain it. You're, you're not sounding incoherent or rambling. Uh, you know, your mind's just taking you where it's taking you. And this is an uh, just a very sad situation that hopefully turns into a positive and, and the outcome is something positive for the Alexander family. But uh, our, our thoughts are with Mackenzie Alexander and hopefully not only the legal issue gets gets cleaned up, but of course of paramount importance is that his father is found and hopefully healthy and fine. On the positive news front, John, the Bengals got back AJ Green in sort of form. I don't, I don't know if he was in full pads. He was kind of like in helmet and shoulder pads, maybe. Um, I, think, I think the whole team was in like half pads today. Right. So, yeah. Right. So good sign, especially for those of us that waited for that 
image to come to fruition again throughout training camp after his ankle injury last year and just never, uh, he never returned. So, as, you know, again, the cynical Bengal fans were maybe sitting there saying, oh, AJ Green injured yet again, but he's back, John, and he is working. I would say probably, probably the workload until the opener would be limited at best. I think Jeff Hobson said it best where he was participating in individual drills today, and that was only going to be what he did. He was not a part of teamwork. I think it was so odd to Tate having his spot as, like, the number one receiver in the in the ones in the starting offense. And it was Hobson saying, like, yeah, you know what, he'll just show up on September 13th in the parking lot, and he'll be ready to work then. But I think the plan is for him to take at least some snaps during the team's second scrimmage this upcoming Sunday. What he does – before then and after then, I think remains to be seen. But the important thing is, is that he is healthy enough to practice. And if there's anybody that we should be confident enough to say that they are healthy enough to practice when they do practice, it's AJ Green because no one has been more cognizant of taking care of their body and making sure that their body is right than number 18 for the Bengals. The wide receiver group without AJ Green has been looking pretty promising so far in camp. So obviously having their all-world receiver back, even though he's a guy who's missed considerable time over the past three seasons. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a good, it's a good thing to have him back, even if it's limited and even if it will be limited going forward. Um, you mentioned that Auden Tate is kind of taking his place in, in the lineup as it is, you know, that John, the, if, if AJ green and I'm all indications are that he should be fine unless something else happens uh, until the opener, but We've talked about this a little bit before, but it, when A.J. Green is reinserted into the lineup and the Bengals go in those goal line formations, I mean, there is a distinct possibility that if they go three wide within the red zone or within the opponents, um, yeah, in, in the red zone, um, you know, I mean, there's a distinct possibility that the three wide outs are guys that are 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and above um, in terms of A.J. Green, T. Higgins, Auden Tate and you mix and match there. You also have C.J. Ozama as a tight end. You know, depending on the formation, there is a lot of height and a lot of catch radius that is going to be available at, to Joe Burrow's disposal. And let's not forget the guy in 2018 who kind of caught fire towards the end of that season when A.J. Green was out. He ended up having a lot of red zone touchdowns. He was 5'11 in John Ross, who we should also probably talk about because he was back with the, the uh, number ones in terms of practicing the team drills for, I think, the second practice in a row, but he also, I guess, gave fans a slight scare when he was going after a deep ball and he landed awkwardly, and he landed on his left arm, I think, specifically, and the trainers were looking at him, potentially with a shoulder, maybe a wrist type type of deal. The important thing is he was not sent back to the locker room. He was looked over with, by trainers on the sideline, and actually, he came back in to practice, and on the first play back into practice, he, I think, caught a pass, and he stayed in there for, I think, three or four more snaps or reps, so it's good to see Ross um, overcome, I guess, the slight little injury scare, but not, not you know, go back into to practice and, and try to finish it. So obviously it's an indication that it's not very serious, but also gives fans, I guess, a little sigh of relief as if, you know, it's not something that's going to incapacitate him for some time now. Yeah, I think good friend of the program, James Rapine, uh, posted a picture on Twitter saying that he had a, a sleeve on later on that arm, maybe to um, keep it loose or, you know, maybe there was some sort of a hyperextension or I don't know what, what happened there, but yeah, a little bit of a scare, uh, especially with another guy who's had some injury issues. Don't want that. So um, John Ross is again, part of that equation. You know, I mentioned the hype, but like you said, there's also, of course, Tyler Boyd, John Ross that are going to be in that, top five group we did talk about the wide receivers i believe on the last listener questions live uh last friday so um yeah any other news and notes we want to get to john that we may have missed or that i may have omitted so i believe um <clears throat> the Bengals signed a, a few players over the past couple of days one of them being frederick malagoa i believe he's an undrafted rookie out of washington state and he played a lot of time at center at washington state he was with the second stream team today playing right guard and Billy Price was at center with the second team. So right guard has seen a couple of new faces there for whatever reason, Xavier Suofilo is not taking reps there right now. I think he might've been a left guard today because Michael Jordan was with the, the birth of his new child yesterday. So he was out mm -hmm. of practice. So it was Fred Johnson taking the reps at right guard with the ones for, I think the second straight practice. And there was some comments that, 
uh, Zach Taylor and Jim Turner said about him and the competition with Bobby Hart. And maybe it's, it's just Bobby's to lose right now because he's not doing anything that would uh, upset his standing there. But they're giving Johnson some chances at right guard. So it's not necessarily Johnson continuing to screw things up or anything like that. He's still getting opportunities, but it's still a lot of moving parts from the offense line, not just with the starters, but also who's going to back these guys up. You know, is Billy Price is going to be the one guy who comes off the bench, regardless of who gets injured, maybe in the, in the interior. You know, they're still trying to find out like where is Fred Johnson going to be based at in terms of his role. And I guess that also aligns with Hakeem identity. So a lot of moving parts on this offense line right now. There is a feature up on CincyJungle.com. I believe a tweet of yours is embedded in it, John. Uh, Nathan Bagley um, at Cincy Jungle talking about the Fred Johnson-Bobby Hart battle. This was the other piece of news. You've, you touched on it a tiny bit, but uh, you can see the quote here. We, we're sharing the screen. I think Fred's still battling for that job, that job being right tackle, Zach Taylor told Ben Baby of ESPN. Um, so... And there's the tweet of yours that you said, you know, maybe Fred Johnson is the guy that supplants Bobby Hart, maybe middle of the season, maybe a couple games in, um, you know, so I think to your point, John, even though a lot of folks may be a little crestfallen with Hart winning that right tackle job, there is an indication here, at least maybe by some of the words Zach Taylor is, is saying that the leash could be short in the regular season, it could be short. And it not only is because of some of the struggles Hart has shown over the past couple of years and his inconsistencies, but also what Fred Johnson has been showing on the positive side. Right. And like, I I know everyone is, is is dogging Bobby Hart and rightfully so for a multitude of reasons, but you know, the the signs have been positive for, for Hart now, but again, this is training camp and usually there's a lot of fluff going on anyway. So when the pads, are put on for real and the jerseys are put on and he's facing Joey Bosa and Miles Garrett back-to-back weeks in the span of four days, then we'll get a real evaluation of whether Bobby Hart has really turned it around. And at that point, the leash could definitely be short for a guy like Fred Johnson to, to take over because at the end of the day, if, if they're in a position where one of the one of these offensive linemen is continuing to allow pressures on the new franchise quarterback, that is an even bigger reason than years past to make swift and moving changes on the offensive line because now you have an investment in there that you are investing the next 10 to 15 years in, and you don't want that to start off, off the, on the wrong foot in the first two weeks. Yeah, it also appears that Adenogy, Hakeem Adenogy, is looking pretty good in some drills. But here's the via Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com that is on this same article, and it's uh, unfortunately the, <laughs> the focal point may be the SB Nation ad video that's playing underneath it. But, quote, Fred has got some serious talent. Fred, meaning Fred Johnson, has got some serious talent. He's enormous. He's very smart. He can pick it up. Is he our best right tackle? No, but he's getting experience playing a lot with the, against the ones. He's improving. That's a quote from Jim Turner via Bengals.com. So um, it, as of now, Johnson's pushing, but it still seems, as, as John said, it still seems that Hart is the incumbent and will hang on to that position for now. Yeah, and – I think, again, that was the expectation more or less of like Hart being the, the guy, at least to start camp. And if anything were to happen with, with him and his fluctuating play, if he just struggles a lot, then I think we would start to see that competition heating up. But at the very least, at least there is still some type of discussion going on because after the first week of camp, it was like there was, no, there was just no news of Fred Johnson at all. Is he even taking snaps with the ones? Is he given a fair shot? Is there a reason why he's not given a fair shot? There was just, it was darkness on that front. So at least now we're getting some minor clarity about what's going on and if something is still developing there. So I think that's all we can hopefully ask for because we know how the story with Bobby Hart when the regular season happens ends. Uh, fortunately for him, he played against like the second uh, lowest strength of schedule for an offensive right. tackle last year. So, I mean, it's good. it's only going to be harder for him. The expectations are only going to be only going to be higher. And now he's got a guy that they have confidence in taking over for him if he does slip up. So the pr- the pressure's on him, and hopefully he can respond well to that. But until we see actual games, we're not really going to know. And he, when he showed improvement, it was largely against teams that were struggling at the end of the year. The Bengals were really reliant on Joe Mixon, and Joe Mixon was creating uh, out of his many great performances to end the season. He was kind of creating a lot out of very little in terms of blocking in front of him. So, uh, you know, some of the improvement that we did witness from Bobby Hart, yeah, it was tangible, but I think it was also a little over-exaggerated. We'll see what happens there. 
We usually would get to our potential breakout players list, but because our interview, unless you really want to, John, but because our interview went pretty long with Mike Daniels, and I want that to kind of be the focal point of yeah. this week's show, um, I think we're going to hold off on potential breakout players. So um, it, in the in the essence of time, I guess we'll, we'll hold off on that. But our thanks to Mike Daniels, who joined us via EAG uh, management, very very kind to give us that much time and uh i I hope you enjoyed that interview It was a little different than most where we got to know the guy off the field and that's what we wanted so very interesting guy very entertaining guy hope we get him back soon um and as always you can get this show on itunes stitcher spotify google play megaphone iHeartRadio. you can get it on youtube and everything is on cincy jungle uh john let's let's drop the mic and get out of here you got you got anything for us before we get on out I do, actually. So last night, um, I believe the Pro Football Hall of Fame announced a contributor, uh, announced the nominee to, to be inducted as a contributor. It was Pittsburgh Steelers scout uh, Bill Nunn, who I believe mm. passed away um, sometime in the past. But I got a reaction out of Terry McCauley, who basically is like the, like the, the, the former ref that works yeah. with uh, yeah. Sunday Night Football. And he said, quote, so once again, the Hall of Fame Selection Committee has determined not a single official in the history of the NFL has made a contribution to the NFL that is worthy of induction to the Hall of Fame. Shame on you. So that was, I guess, my introduction to knowing that there wasn't any refs in the Hall of Fame. But also, in the comments below, I learned that there are a combined 42 officials enshrined in the Basketball, Baseball, and Hockey Hall of Fame. So, Anthony, I'm going to ask you a question to this. If the Pro Football Hall of Fame inducted any NFL ref in its history, who would they induct? Hockley, the guns, Eddie Hockley, right? Uh, that's I don't know. He's not the best referee, but, uh, but that, that's the point, though, because not sometimes the best players don't. It's the most famous person, right? Right. right. Um, it's definitely not that guy. Gosh, who, do you remember the guy years ago that? Uh, he botched that coin flip with Jerome Bettis in a in a playoff game. Was it, was it triplet? Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe. I can't remember his name. I'll have to look that because up because Jeff Triplett's the worst ref in in my football memory. But I guess if I had to go with like the best one, it's probably Gene Steratore. He's now with CBS. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was uh, yeah he was very good at his craft. I, I just figured Ed Hockley was a guy who would give a speech with every penalty call he made. You know, he would he would explain it, and then he'd make sure he'd he'd flex the guns and everything. That guy was he had an ego. He he, he threw flags for the sake of him getting on camera. Yeah, that guy was classic. That guy was classic. Interesting stat. I, I hadn't heard that. Uh, and it also, as some other people are pointing out in the live chats, it also highlights, you know, a, a, an official is talking about getting into the Hall of Fame. You have a guy who was a scout. And, and I, don't mean, I don't mean to downplay his contributions. I'm sure he was very – his contributions were very heavy to the NFL and to the Pittsburgh Steelers. But yet again, you have someone like that. But Ken Anderson and Ken Riley get overlooked for the, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I, I don't know. Everyone's got a soapbox. I know. I know. Uh, I don't have too much more except for the fact that I want to thank a listener. He's his Twitter handle is the at the Bangle Four. Uh, he he is based on the Marvel comic books character, the Bangle. He set up a. Um, a, a fantasy football league for us, John, I think you were invited, but I think you passed on the opportunity, but would are going to contribute to it. At least uh, I, I think that's what the, the thing is with this league where uh, the money is going to go to the Joe Burrow hunger relief fund. We played that video a few weeks back where he was talking about it on good morning America. So kind of a cool thing. We're all doing it for charity. John's involved. I'm involved. And uh, at the bangle, that was his, um, that was his big idea, and I thought it was a very good one. I'm in the league, John, with our friends Jake Liskow and James Rapine, um, among others. I think maybe some of our listeners may also be in there as well. So um, there's a little bit of a competition. I don't know how good I feel about my team, though. Yeah, I'm not very good at fantasy, so I opted out. But I, like I said back when it was announced, if anybody wants to join, I will pay their $30 fee, and I'll make an additional $30 uh, contribution to the Joe Burrow Fund. And also, just real quick, because I wanted to say this again, I believe Hurricane Laura is approaching the Gulf Coast right now. And it's approaching mm-hmm. maybe Category 5 status. Mm-hmm. So if anybody listening to the show 
just in that region. We were thinking about you. We we're praying for you. And also, if, if you have any, I'm, I'm sure these are going to be flooding in in the next week or so. If there's any foundations that we can uh, give attention towards or give monetary funding towards in terms of recovery funds, please let us know. We will be happy to contribute. Yep. Yep. Thank you for saying that. And I think our good friend, Ace Boogie, who's part of the Orange is the New Black podcast, I believe he's kind of maybe in that area where that's uh, coming through, or at least he was talking about it on Twitter. So Ace, if you're out there, uh, be safe, my, my good friend. And um, well said, John. Yeah, let's, uh, if, if there is something in terms of relief funds, if there is, you know, kind of some, some major issues that end up coming from that hurricane, let us know and we'll do what we can to both promote and give to it. Good show this week, John, and I want to reiterate before we get on out of here, John was instrumental in getting our next interview, which we will probably be dropping either next Monday, if not Monday, then definitely the first part of the first half of next week, we'll let you know about that. We can't say who it is yet, but it's a great one. I think you'll like that one as well, and uh, we're excited to bring that to you. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Our thanks to Mike Daniels for joining us and EAG. For John Sharon, I'm Anthony Cazenza. We'll see you next episode.